Thank you for joining us at MindSpeak, the show that delves into global issues with a local perspective. This is a voice, not an echo. If you can't speak your mind, you can't be human. Hi folks, this is MindSpeak and I'm your host Mark Anthony Rossi. Today we have episode 225, History of Pandemics. Now, I'm not going to go through every single pandemic we had in the history of mankind because I don't know what the point of the show would be. It's more about going through many of them to sort of give you an idea of what happened, um, how we were able to respond, if we were able to respond at all. Because uh, one of the problems with a pandemic is, since it is virus-related and bac- uh, bacteriological, that means that you know you have to have a, <laughs> an edge of science with you. And when you go back a few hundred years, uh, suddenly you're, you're not doing much of that other than you know uh, having some whiskey and praying to God and hope it all works out. Because everything else, you, there's not much you can do. But we'll discuss all that because that really does make it uh, very interesting. But I I wanted us to to get more of a broader view of of how pandemics have affected us and also maybe how the ways we've responded. And I don't mean necessarily medicinally. I mean like how did we respond culturally or politically or even religiously. Because that's interesting uh, compared to the things that that are going on now with the the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay? Um, We'll talk about some of the rumors and sometimes the conspiracies that are sometimes connected with some pandemics, just like some of the ones we have with COVID-19. I'm not a buyer of any of them, okay, because I'm just not a conspiracy person. I think you'll hear a lot of the shows, if you, if you listen to anything I've done, I just don't really buy most of them. I just think they're kind of silly and they're just scapegoat excuses to, you know, take responsibility from, from individuals and their actions. And we'll talk about what, what some people believe, uh, good and bad, about uh, COVID-19 as well, okay? So I'm not going to leave that out. I'm not going to be in denial and, and take it to the side, but, you know, I'm going to take it to task, though, on some of the stuff that is simply a little, a little too silly to, to take serious, okay? Now, I, I want to make a, a disclaimer over here uh, before we start the show. There's a big difference, okay, between a pandemic, a pandemic meaning that it's worldwide, okay, or a good part of the world, versus an epidemic. So you'll find that I'm not going to be talking on this show about um, the bird flu, the avian flu, the swine flu, those ones, because those were more epidemics. They were not pandemics. So, yeah, a lot of people died. Those things were pretty contagious, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They tried to modify the existing flu vaccines that we, we have to try to confront those, but... They took a toll on our, on our hospitals, on our, in our society, and in a number of places, especially in in Asia, which you're going to find uh, seems to come out from a lot of these pandemics and epidemics. So it's not unusual for them to come out from there. Which again, what you see when you see the broader view, you'll see that some of the conspiracies don't make a lot of sense because you know three thousand years of these things happening in in, a, in the same areas. It's, it's not hard to get a clue that. Uh, you know, no one's uh, doing this on purpose or nobody is, uh, you know, suddenly uh, creating this uh, because of their cultural habits and it keeps happening. And there's reasons and we'll discuss those, okay? All right, so let us go on to uh, 
the uh, I'm gonna well, I want to start from like the, the the very beginning, and then we'll kind of go on until the present, okay? Which means what we'll do COVID nineteen last. All right, if that makes any sense for you, because that makes uh, a lot more sense to me, okay? All right, so that's what we're gonna do here. So we'll go for some of the bigger ones that happened, okay, a long time ago. All right, now. One of the very first ones that we had evidence of in terms of uh, some literature, meaning uh, the, the ideograms of, of China at the time. That's the language they use, the symbol language they use. And, of course, uh, a lot of times some of the artwork showed this as well. But, and then amazingly enough, we'll, we'll talk about this as well, some, some actual physical evidence 5,000 years ago. There was an epidemic. This was not a pandemic, but an epidemic. Okay, but this is the first recorded history uh, time of anything, pandemic or epidemic. So I'll bring this one in only because it's interesting in that regard. All right, and because of some of the things they found. All right, so this epidemic nearly wiped out the entire area. Okay, of this prehistoric village and its entire surrounding area. Okay, it's now become an archaeological site called the Haman Magna. Apparently, what turns out is that they discovered a huge amount of skeletons of juveniles, young adults, middle-aged people. They all found them throughout this village when they were doing this archaeological dig. And they had the telltale signs of this epidemic that they had known about already, but this is the first one they physically saw it in actual bones. So it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Okay? Apparently, it killed people so quickly that they didn't even have time for proper burials. So literally, they were just throwing people in a pit. But you'll see happens a lot in some of these plagues and some of these uh, epidemics and, and pandemics is uh, the things that happen so quickly that people just didn't have time to respond. You know, and oftentimes, I'll give you an example. You got some cultures that um, they're not big on uh, preparing a person for death, whether they're burning their body or, or burying their body or sending it out to sea like the Vikings did or etc. It wasn't like a fast turnover. They had like a whole ritual. Of, we got to say this. We got people watching this. We got to uh, do some prayers. We got to do some this. We got to do some incense. That, that, that. It could be four, five, ten days before they actually do anything with the body. Uh, so that's the reason why when they say that, you know, things went quickly. Well, yeah, because the, it interrupted the cultural rituals and the way they normally did things, how, how they prepared death because it wasn't possible. First of all, because they realized that messing around with the dead people who, who had this illness was a bad idea because you're going to get it. So they had to hurry up and just get him off and isolate it out someplace outside his town in a, in a pit or something. And, and also because uh, there's not more you could do once a person is, is dead and, and, and nobody wants to be around them anymore because they're freaked out about the whole situation. You, you, you're kind of forced to forget about your culture and just simply let's, let's just save ourselves and, and get rid of this body. So you'll see that happen a, a great deal. Okay, and That was the first one. They don't even have an official name for it, like a lot of these, like a lot of these pandemics. Okay, it was just a Haman village, but five thousand years ago, incredible. Okay, all right, here goes one that we actually have a, a name for, and it was called the Plague of Justinian. Justinian was, was, was an emperor. Okay, and 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 he was an emperor in the Mediterranean around the area where Turkey is now, the Byzantine Empire. Okay, and. This happened around the years of uh, 80, uh, 541 to 542, okay? This was a variation of the bubonic plague, 
the one that happened centuries later that we'll talk about, it killed 25 million people in their best in their best estimates from from what was said. Okay, uh, it hit a lot of the Mediterranean port cities because guess what? Uh, you're doing trading all over these different ports. Remember, people didn't do as much of the road travel back in those days as they did the travel through 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 naval ships because. You know, you're going to get from Greece to Turkey on foot? Uh, no. You're going to get through a horse, it'll be dead before you get to outside of Greece. So uh, the major training went through the ports. And, of course, you got the sailors and anybody else who's a passenger on board. If they wind up catching that, they didn't realize the symptoms. And then they're on, you know, they're on the voyage for a week or two weeks, three weeks or whatever. You know, take and be sick. And they, get, they land in the place and they're spreading it all over the place. And that's how those sort of things happen. So... It's not unusual for all the Mediterranean port cities that came from Turkey at the time to get hit with this. And, of course, as you can see, 25 million, that's a lot of people, even back in the, in the old days. So imagine the, 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 the depth of the population that must have been killed in that. It's incredible. Okay? It says over here that the city of Constantinople, that, that was the capital of Turkey at the time, the, uh, the Roman Empire capital, okay, it was, it was killing 5,000 people a day. Okay? It said it resulted here, and it resulted in the deaths of forty percent of the entire population of the city. Okay, this is considered not only a, a pandemic, but it's also considered the first official recorded incident of the bubonic plague, which we later on later on call the black plague because of the the black spots that you got around you. That's how they they were able to tell. Okay. Uh, it took about a year for it to go through its course and die out. And without any real intervention in any of these pandemics, particularly things that, that are the plague, which unlike COVID-19 and some of these other ones, uh, which only kill less than 10% of the people, you know, a, a, a virus like the bubonic plague, you, you, you're talking about it was killing 75 and 80% of the people. So when it goes through the course of all the people that it found so to spread, and and kill there's only a small particular amount left over that survive because they have some sort of a, a strong immunity system or some sort of a natural barrier in their own system that they get sick but they don't die and that's how that eventually ends because it kills everybody can kill and everybody can't kill it stays in their system you know and they, they don't have it any longer and they don't become carriers but that's the end of it so it literally has to die itself off as it's killing people. Strange is how that sounds, but that's that's pretty much how it works. Because there was no no intervention at all back in those days. They had no clue about how to do anything, anything regarding all, any of this sort of stuff. So literally, you catch it, and you know, I guess you you just hope to uh, to God that uh, you're one of the people that have some some natural immunity. Because <laughs> if you don't. Yeah, you're going to be hanging out with uh, with Julius Caesar and everybody else uh, in the afterlife, all right? Okay, so that was the first big pandemic, okay? All right. All right. Next one here is, and, and it's even though I'm bringing out the next one, it's many, many centuries later, okay? The Black Death, or of course, again, the Bupani Plague from, and this, check this out, from 1346 to 1353, this thing had seven years to reign over the entire planet at the time. 200 million people were killed. Ten times the amount. 
But if you think about it, you know, the, the plague of Justinian was only one year. This is seven years. That's a lot of, of hanging around, okay? All right, so this one, it hit Europe, Africa, and Asia, you know, mostly within the next, within the, within a couple of months of each other, as they, again, traveling, okay? It's been, it's been thought to originate in Asia, and, and, and they believe that it jumped from continents because of the fleas that were living on the rats. They were usually living on board the merchant ships, and that's how these port cities and these big areas, you know, caught that. Now, the incredible bacterium that this does is that it infects and kills people often quickly, within three days. Now, it's something that's important to note here, and, and this is not delving into the paranormal or anything new age. This is a historical fact. The great French astronomer, uh, who was also Jewish and forced converted into Christianity so that his family wouldn't be murdered by the, the anti-Semitic French back then. Um, he became a doctor, and one of the things he did before he, he wrote his prophecies in his books and he did astrology and everything is he was a medical doctor. And when this came about, you know, his family was fine, his area was not being touched, so he went to go to other areas to help treat people. He had discovered, now don't get me wrong, he didn't know that the fleas in the rats was bringing on this disease. There's no way he could have known. And he didn't, and anything he wrote about it, it's obvious he didn't know. But, Nostradamus was convinced that hygienics had a role in what was going on. Why he was convinced, I don't know. I mean, obviously, hygienics is good in any way. And hygienics means, you know, you take a damn bath once in a while. You know, you don't have a bunch of trash in your, in your, in your, in your streets. Rats are not running all over the damn place because you have trash everywhere. Guess what? He thought that the cleanliness would help this situation. We don't know why he thought that. But apparently, he was correct. Nostradamus... When they, when they got him to these towns, he instituted right away, get this trash off the damn streets. Clean this area up. Tell these people to take a damn bath. I don't care if they got to go into the river. Throw all this stuff outside the city and burn it. People got clothes that are disgusting. Burn that too. If they're sick, take this stuff off. Burn it. Let them be naked. Apparently, that had a big effect because when you reduced the garbage and, and people being nasty and everything and living in a squalor, because I'm telling you right now, without making a political statement, it don't matter if you're poor or not. There's no reason to be dirty, okay? There really isn't. Unless you have a mental illness, there's no reason to be dirty. Poor is one thing, dirty, that's another. So Nostradamus had people do this as a policy. Well, guess what? As they were doing this, you know what that did? That reduced the, the fleas jumping on people to give them the disease because they were on the rats. And because you started cleaning the area and chasing away the rats, guess what? The incidence of this bubonic plague was lesser and lesser in the towns as he was going about. That was the first thing he did. Second thing he did, and this was something that he had thought could work because of, of uh, I guess, something he'd learned uh, dealing with people who lived in the forest. Um, uh, in case you, if you don't recall, okay, um, back in the, the year 1346, uh, we didn't have a McDonald's and we didn't have a Rite Aid or Walgreens drugstore. 
Okay, so when you're a doctor, you're a freaking social worker, you're a freaking psychologist, and you're a damn pharmacist. You got to go on and make your own drugs to use them. So he found out from somebody I guess he was dealing with, because he had an open mind, he dealt with all kinds of people. He found that somebody was using the, um, the petals of roses, and they were putting them underneath their tongue. And they said that that was giving people more rejuvenation powers and everything. And he's like, well, well, let's go try that. So he started putting that on the people, people's tongue, making sure they were clean, making sure the house was decent, the town was decent. Well, apparently we find out centuries later that rose petals have a basic antibiotic substance inside of them. Now, it's not pure antibiotics. It's not perfect, but it's better than damn nothing. And guess what? Any form of an antibiotic would, would definitely help to start fighting the plague. So apparently some of his patients survived because of what he did. The cleanliness, the getting rid of all these fleas, and of course doing the rose petals. Okay, He wrote down that he had at least a 35% response from using the rose petals. So if you think about it, just in purely numbers here, I'm not trying to be completely scientific over here, but I'm giving you some basic numbers we know as facts. If we know that, according to science today, that maybe 18 to 22% of people who got hit by these pandemics survived and everybody else died, which is pretty damn enormous, and 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 Nostradamus is predicting, or if not predicting, he's saying that he's getting a thirty-five percent increase in, in in survival rates. What does this really mean, then? It could really mean that the antibiotic properties that he he found in the, in the in the rose beds. Now, don't forget, he doesn't know anything about antibiotics. He's just listening to somebody in the forest and just trying to copy what they're doing and hoping it works. But if he's really getting that kind of response, that means that there's a chance that he was elevating people's survival rates by 10 to 15% more than they would have gotten done naturally. So whatever he did might have had a real impact. It might have just not been coincidence like some people like to write it off as. Oh, those people would have survived anyway. Regardless of, no, we, we know just from his cleanliness rules alone that helps survive, make more people live. Now, if you want to argue, well, maybe his whole cleanliness things of people's houses and the clothing and the, and the towns, maybe that increased the survival rates more than anything he did with the pedals. Hey, maybe that's true. But we do know that one of those two, at least uh, on the whole hygienics, had a real impact. So here's a man trying to do as best as he can to try to save people's lives under some incredible circumstances. He goes back home after doing all this, and he finds out his entire family died from the plague. So it's a pretty horrible thing to come back and, you know, your children and your wife are all dead. After you just spent, you know, weeks upon weeks trying to save other people. It's a hell of a story. And you wonder why you went into the paranormal. You have your whole family die and when you're trying to help the world, you might get paranormal too, okay? So I'm not going to be his judge. But I thought that was an interesting tale to tell because uh, not only is it an important fact of uh, Notre Dame's life, it's also an important medical fact of some of the things that he had discovered. Okay? Alright, the next major pandemic, it's what's officially called the Third Korea Pandemic from 1852 to 1860. Eight years. My God, it's even longer than the Black Death. Okay? It's only killed one million people, if you want to call only one million. Alright, but it was the, at the time the third, one of the deadliest of of the seven chloria pandemics. There were seven of them. I'm just reading the third one out because it was one of the biggest. Okay, 
It happened mostly in India because of the, the Ganges River became uh, pretty much polluted and, and wound up infecting people who were drinking or, or getting anything from it, even fish from Asia, Europe, North America, Africa, a, a million people, okay? Uh, there was a British physician by the name of John Snow. He actually worked in the poor area of London, and he tracked a lot of these cases. He eventually succeeded in identifying that it was contaminated water that was the means of transmission. Unfortunately, by the time he discovered this, it was the worst year of the pandemic. 23,000 people died in Great Britain. But his discovery had let people know exactly, oh my God, you got to stay away from that water. So... And that makes a big difference. Chloria is extremely common, both epidemic and pandemic, even up until this day. Uh, I'll give you a, a good example, okay? You get um, you get an earthquake in an area, let's say like uh, like Haiti or something, okay? You get a breakdown of the water system, and and guess what? What happens is uh, people uh, they still have things to do. I mean, just because you have a natural disaster doesn't stop you from to take a pee or or, or doing a number two. But instead of using the, the, the systems that were normally available, they're not available now. They don't work anymore. So if you got people that are, are peeing and pooping in the water and everywhere else and all this stuff, it, it, it starts infecting the water. Uh, you wouldn't believe the stuff that are in our bodies that can be very dangerous to us, even though they're inside of our bodies. You know? I don't want to sound gross over here, but if you understand what pink eye is, pink eye is because you didn't actually wash your hands and some fecal matter that when you wiped your butt went into your eye and now you have a, you literally have a bacteria virus in your eye because of poop, your poop. So that's, that's what happens. So this is how chloria breaks out all the time. It often has to do with disaster. It could be a flood that breaks down the system or earthquake. Uh, a tornado, something, something that that lasts for a while, and whenever these areas they last for a while, that means the water starts becoming dangerous because it gets filled with all the stuff that normally would not be there. And of course, people get thirsty; they're going to drink the water. I mean, I mean, no one's realizing that you know three hours ago the uncle went uh, took a damn pee in it. So, you know that that's really how these sort of things work. They you happen they happen all over the place, you know. One of the reasons why they don't happen in a first world country, let's say like a France or, or Italy, uh, and it'll happen more in like in South America and Central America and Asia and in India, and it's because their systems of both government and civil, they don't respond or they're not able to incapable to respond fast enough to deal with what's going to happen there. It's going to happen. I mean, literally, you get a flood, and you haven't figured out how to get that water out of there, how to get people from pooping and peeing in it, how to get the systems back into normal again, so they go back in their houses and go back to having a normal life again. You're literally on a time clock to get chloria. And when it happens, it spreads. It's a horrible disease that makes people vomit and throw up and, you know, diarrhea, and, and literally, you dehydrate yourself to death. That's literally how people die of that disease. They literally pee-pooed and vomit themselves to death. So what came out of our bodies and went in there, they created this thing that goes back and kills us. So it's no joke. And that's the reason why it happens in these areas, because they don't respond fast enough. If they could respond fast enough, they would actually prevent this from happening. So it's important that they're able to do so when they can't. 
Well, that's what happens. We have these horrible epidemics and pandemics of cholera. Okay? Alright. The next one, and this one happened in 1889 to 1890, only one year. It was It's a flu pandemic, and it was originally called either the Asiatic flu or the Russian flu. Guess depending on, you know, what angle you wanted to take it back in those days. All right? Um, they were, now, you're going to notice that uh, most of the the diseases here that, that happened in the early 1900s to the late 1800s, we actually have some genetic information on because they found people uh, and it were able to, from grave sites and from other places and they were able to extract information out of them and, and do testing in the laboratory. So we actually have a good history of the flu for about over 100 years now. Okay? This is one of the first they found. They found that it was it was influenza virus A, okay, a subtype of H2N2. Okay? All right? And so it's almost like like the father of, of many of the foods that we had to this day, right? And so that's pretty interesting. They uh, they discovered that it was um, originated around uh, Central Asia, around Turkestan. That's where they feel it, it came from. Okay, they had a rapid population growth around that time in that area. The area became more urban, and unfortunately, once the flu, the flu hit, it was able to spread to a lot of people in that area. Okay. And it's, it's called the first true epidemic in terms of uh, bacteriology. And, of course, uh, this is also the first flu pandemic that claimed over a million lives. Okay? And, of course, it was also the first one that we were able to, to type, you know, and go back into time you know, into the laboratory and, and find information about it. So it kind of gives, gives us an idea of what we were looking at. All right. The next one. It's another big one. It was called the Sixth Chloria Pandemic. It was from 1910 to 1911. All right. This one caused almost a million deaths. All right. All Chloria, of course. All right. It was mostly in India. It spread through all the different continents. Okay. Um, it was also considered the last American outbreak of Chloria. So the sixth chloria epidemic was the last one that America had to ever face. We've never had a, a chloria pandemic since 1911. And that's the reason why we haven't is because, remember I was mentioning before about your response to, to disaster means that you can remove that water, get people back to their normal lifestyles, preventing the chloria from happening and having a pandemic. After this, we have started got to act together as Americans and figured out this is what we got to do to stop this. You know, they put national disaster plans into effect in various areas. You know, they, they found ways that they can pump out the water, which is really, really important. Believe it or not, a bunch of pumps is probably more important than anything else you could deal with when you're dealing with chloria. If you get the hell of that water out of there, it won't breed all of this chloria and nobody's going to die. It's just that, it's really that simple. If you can get that going, and that's what they did, because it's not a coincidence that the pumps that were starting to be used by fire departments and the more modern fire departments, they started using those and manufacturing those for disasters as well. Floods and stuff like this, they use those pumps Those pumps to great effect to prevent uh, a pandemic of chloria in the United States for now over 100 years. So it's pretty amazing. All right, the next, there was a, just an influenza flu pandemic. It was only in 1918, just the one year, Okay. They say it lasted until 1920 in terms of that they still had some cases, but the, the bulk of it was in that first year, and it killed 50 million people. Imagine 50 million people just from a flu. 
but it was that dangerous. A lot of people don't realize that the flu will ultimately give you, if you have a weakened immune system, if you're a child, if you're somebody elderly, it'll give you pneumonia. And pneumonia is the number one killer of everybody on earth for since time immemorial. Okay? You can find the people dying of pneumonia in the Bible. Alright? So, it's the number one thing kill that people. But what I guess what we never really broke down to understand is ammonia was coming from all these various diseases, and, and the flu was one of them. So if you were to break it down, you'll find lots of people died uh, from the flu because of pneumonia, most likely because they had weakened conditions already. Uh, and a weakened condition can be anything to an pre-existing disease, to being uh, young and not having a good immune system, to being old and not having an immune system, or, in many cases, unfortunately, being generally healthy, but because you had malnutrition, because you wasn't eating properly on a regular basis, because you were really poor, that also lowers your immune system. So now you, you you got the curse of being poor, you got the curse of not eating a lot, and now you got some uh, regular old flu coming in and killing you with pneumonia. When these days all you need is the antibiotic, and a couple of days and you're good to go. Right now, the only time pneumonia kills people is if they're uh, greatly in distress already in their system and overwhelms it or if they are simply treated or got to much later in the process but in the beginning stages in 19 uh excuse me in that 2021 uh, unlike the 19th century and before we can treat it we can keep a lot of people alive the pneumonia vaccination is one of the most effective vaccinations against any disease ever created in the history of mankind if you get the pneumonia vaccination, you have over a 90% chance of never even getting pneumonia. I don't mean getting it and surviving it and you're still sick. I mean never getting it at all. That's how effective it is. So if you're over 50, please go get one of those because they'll literally save your life. All right. Now the World Health Organization got involved in this particular one because at the time we had the United Nations. Uh, well, actually, it was the League of Nations, but they, they had a World Health back then, and they were pretty much involved in trying to let people know about what how it would kill you, what was going on, what you can do, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. you know, uh, because they wanted to let people know that even though in 1918 we didn't have anything, we didn't have antibiotics, we really didn't have much to do deal with flu at all, but we did have the knowledge medically that those with compromised systems, and those were really young or those really old, they should not be anywhere near this damn disease. So that was the only way they can kind of get the message out to try to save people's lives, is please stay away from other sick members, maybe go somewhere else for a little while. If you're sick and you're a father or a mother, get your children out of there. Send them someplace else where they don't have it. That sort of thing. The elderly, you know, put them over someplace else. That's only the only thing they could do back then, but it still saved lives, okay? All right. Next one over here was what they called the Asian flu. It was from 1956 to 1958. Okay, another another outbreak of influenza A. Okay, this one was directly in China. It lasted for two years. Okay, uh, it was it literally spread over to Singapore, Hong Kong, and then the United States. Okay, it says here. At least 2 million people died. There could be more. They don't know. that At that time, the World Health Organization was officially in place, and if that was officially their name. And they had problems calculating. 
uh, how many deaths that truly was because of some of the areas in, in, in China and everything. They just didn't understand if the reporting was even accurate or not. You know, it killed 69,000 people just in the United States alone, but over the, over the earth, over 2 million. Again, just a simple flu. All right. Next over here. We had another flu pandemic, another influenza one in 1968, just like three years after I was born. If you're old enough to remember, I wasn't because I, I was three at the time, but it used to be called the Hong Kong flu. I don't know how catchy that is, but that's what they called it. All right, this one was a different strain of uh, influenza A. It was H3N2. It was a genetic offshoot or pretty much a mutation. Okay, it was first reported in Hong Kong. It only took 17 days, and the next thing you know, it's in Singapore, Vietnam, the Philippines, India, Australia, Europe, and the United States. It had, catch this, a very low mortality rate, only 0.5%, pretty much similar to COVID-19 right now, okay? But it did result in the death of over a million people. Half a million of Hong Kong had died from, from this uh, flu pandemic. At the time, that was 15% of its entire population. Imagine that. It's, it's incredible. Imagine being in a classroom with kids. You know, and then a couple months later, like 15% of them are not there anymore. But I'm the Lou. But I'm the Chan. Uh, I guess the flu got them. So that's, that's incredible. Now, at that point, we did have, by 1968, we had active flu vaccinations going on. Okay. Uh, and we even had some antivirals that could have helped. But in many instances, they were still practicing the old way of, you know, trying to get uh, people um, segregated and trying to get them, you know, put somewhere else so they would not be able to spread it to those that were compromised already, like young and old, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much what we did uh, back then. That was, that was a huge one. Okay. Now, a lot of people don't realize this because it was such a historic event. Even though it was a global event, it was such an American event in so many ways, too. Uh, HIV AIDS, that was actually a pandemic. Okay? This was its peak from 2005 to 2012. Now, when I give those numbers of years, that doesn't mean that there's no more AIDS in the world. It just means that it's no longer in a pandemic stage anymore because some of the things we'll discuss here shortly. All right, but between those years, it was raging. At that point, it killed 36 million people. It was first identified in the Republic of Congo in 1976. That's when they first found about it. All right. At that point, it was killing people in Africa. Eventually, it spread from Africa over to America and Europe and just about everywhere else in the world. There was a point in sub-Saharan Africa that 5% of the entire population was infected. Now, here's where we go into things that become more cultural, sometimes even religious, and of course conspiratorial. All right? Now, we've heard from a number of these pandemics some of the medical stuff. We'll talk about now how, how some of these things have gone awry. All right? Many of the pandemics that hit Europe, particularly Spain, uh, they were blamed on Jews. The, the Spanish Inquisition from the Roman Catholic Church at the time, that's, that's where their convenient target was. Convert over and you won't get this disease because Christians won't get this. 
even though if you look at the numbers of the small amount of Jews population versus Christians, and if you look at the numbers of how many people who died, uh, that means that every single Jew would have to die in Spain, and the Christians didn't die, then who else died, huh? Atheists? Makes no sense. So uh, apparently they wasn't really looking at the numbers when they were making all these ridiculous proclamations. It shows you how stupid conspiracy theories can be. But oftentimes, these things, when they happen, local communities will blame other people for them. Whatever the traditional enemy was, whatever the traditional fear was, it wasn't uncommon. AIDS, uh, when that came out, that really blew it all up. Because at first, if you recall, it was Haitians. Oh my God, we can't have Haitians in the country. Don't take their blood in the stream of, uh, of Red Cross because we'll all die of AIDS. Then it was the gay people of disease. They called it the gay cancer. That that was that was oh my God. Then of course you got the religious folks that jumped in there. This is uh, this is just the way to kill God, uh, kill gay people because uh, God doesn't really uh, approve of their lifestyle or their practices or whatever you want to call that. That said, people said that for a while. Okay, there was a, the big conspiracy politically where people had said that you know Ronald Reagan had spent like practically until the end of his eight years before he even mentioned AIDS as as a crisis in America, and and people were upset about that. I don't even know if they understood how much of a crisis it was, but nevertheless, we know from um, Randy Schultz's book and the band played on, and we know from the TV show they made, which was incredibly accurate, by the way. What a hell of a show. Great, great amount of cast and everything. It really educated people what was going on. And they, and, and how, and, and you gotta give that, that, that journalist who happened to also be gay, and uh, I think, and also died of AIDS, uh, an enormous amount of credit for being so courageous and brave, because he, 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 he made sure that people understood where this was coming from, and how we could do things that prevent it. He made sure that Wherever it was that the gay community was involved and actually helping either to spread it or not helping to, to prevent it or, or simply burying their heads in the sand about it, you know, he made sure that they were on, on target too about this, that they, they needed to understand that they had some responsibility as well. And now, of course, the show is not about beating up on gays about AIDS, but it's just to show you that, again, if you go to conspiracies, whether they gay conspiracy, straight conspiracies, or whatever, not only are you prejudicial, you're not only going to have not the facts, but you're going to wind up causing more people harm. So there was a lot of resistance for a while from from uh, from po from politics, from gay activists to even close the bathhouse. They were all over the place in the United States, particularly in San Francisco. But it, the, medically, they shown that uh, the, the 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 gay sex without without a condom was it was it was a good transmission unfortunately for this particular virus that was killing people there was zero anything that anyone could do about it you know remember they had barely done any research on it yet so if you got it you were going to die like a hundred percent of the time so the resistance to that and what they finally did about that was was pretty incredible but it just shows you now i don't understand uh, the uh, the gay defense later on and i happen to agree with that at all it makes a lot of sense to me you know, I mean, I, I even had a, one of my gay artist friends tell me, so as Mark, you know, they spent like decades beating up on us and hating us, and now we finally get to a point where we can have some freedom and we can be who we want to be, and now we're told to run into the closet again and close the bathhouses because of possible disease that we don't know what's going to do. So I understand some of the thinking behind that. Unfortunately, 
some of that thinking killed more people than it needed to. So I'm glad that we were able to understand how to at least start to address that. But that that's how that's how AIDS had blown up. I mean, it's people simply didn't want to obey the facts. I remember uh, having to always take AIDS tests when I was in the Air Force. I remember um, people telling me because I was still in the, uh, Germany at the time that you know they were banning kids from going to the schools if some kid caught AIDS because of a blood transfusion. Uh, you know, uh, oh my God, he's we, we can't have him around, so they forced him to do the homeschool and stuff. I mean, just stupid, horrible discriminatory things that we were doing because we just it wasn't even like we didn't have the facts they just didn't want to pay attention to the facts they were just afraid you know and i can understand people's fear because hey how can you not be afraid of a virus that kills 100 percent of the people <laughs> that's there's definitely no joke but it doesn't mean that you you, you run hard wild and, and and start acting like a fool because then you put a lot more people at risk uh, but eventually, uh, they were able to come up with some some cocktails to to suppress and, and, and reduce the viral uh, output in, in people's bodies. And, and today, now, you know, over twenty years later, um, AIDS or HIV is uh, what's, what's considered a manageable disease, almost similar, you know, to like uh, diabetes or blood pressure. Which is incredible that I'm even saying that phrase, but that's literally how it is. They got drugs right now that can literally reduce the amount of virus in your body to where it can't even be detected on the AIDS test. So it's that much. It doesn't mean that people can't still practice safe sex because they do and they should, especially if they're a carrier of that disease. But it does mean they can have a full life and it does mean they can have, you know, a, a, maybe a family one day if they want to, and, and etc. And there's a lot of things they they can they could do. They wouldn't be able to do otherwise, uh, particularly living, which is real important. So but that shows you how that that sort of thing can happen, and and how it can get widespread. Now we know about COVID. We we've learned a lot, but there's a lot of stuff we don't really completely know. Or, or even interest in paying attention to. COVID, unlike many of these pandemics, unfortunately, has become much more political than necessary and, and very confusing. And with its low, low death rate, and I'm telling you low death rate because that's just the facts of every country that's reported this, not because I'm trying to make some political point over here. That's just a fact. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be wearing a mask in an area where you're uncertain about it shouldn't mean you shouldn't be sanitizing your hands or, or, or cleaning up after yourself. It shouldn't mean that, you know, you, you, you jump headlong into someone coughing because you think everything is fine. <laughs> you still have to practice some common sense and, and, and some safety because you should. Because one of the problems with COVID-19 that we don't really discuss a lot is we don't know ourselves if, if we're somebody with an underlying condition. There's a lot of people out there that do know. And that's their secret, and that's their privacy, and I'm, and that's fine with that. Maybe that's why they want a vaccination. Maybe that's why they want to do all the extra precautions because they they know they could get themselves sick, and something much much worse can happen to them versus somebody that doesn't have that condition. But what about the people that don't know? You know, I've talked to some people that don't believe in any of this. They think it's all a conspiracy. They think it's all a lie. And and not, I'm not I'm really not in the in the business here to convert people to. Uh, to take precautions or not. I don't really think that's my job as a writer or a podcast host or someone that puts together these shows, so I'm not going to do that. I'm only going to stick to the facts, and then you make your own decisions from that. Someone told me that. 
That's exactly how they wanted to, to encounter it. And I just reminded them. I said, listen, I'm not the guy that plays the devil's advocate. I don't even believe in that role. I think it's stupid. Okay? I'm just sticking to the facts. And the facts is, if you don't know, you don't have an underlying condition. Your doctor might not even be able to find out you have an underlying condition. So if you're running around exposed all over the place, not doing anything, God forbid if you get it, you could be on a respirator. You could die for no good reason when you could have prevented that. So that's all I had to say to that person. I mean, that's all you can say. And because I'm telling them that's, that's the truth. I would be concerned, you know, period. Now, one of the biggest problems with COVID-19, particularly here in the United States and in Australia, so if any of my Australian listeners get mad, well, get mad, but it's the truth nevertheless. They've gone overboard. And, and that's a conservative government that have gone overboard. Thank you for taking the extra measures against the possible Chinese invasion uh, militarily. I got you on that. Great. Glad you're doing that. We definitely need to help over there in Pacific. America can't do everything. Okay? But practically locking everybody in their house uh, it makes no sense. You're destroying your economy, which has already been hurt from the, from the trade war with you and China. And, and of course, so you, you're not really giving out people the information they need. You know, I'm told that you gave a lot of your vaccinations away in the past because you thought everything's going to be fine and now you're, <laughs> you need some, so. Hopefully we can ship some over to you because I definitely think you can use some. All right. But, yeah, it's a little overboard going there. In the United States, it's the same way. I'm a person that believes in, in, in freedom. That, that's who I am. That's who I am as a writer. That's who I am as a, a person that would believe in a certain political vision of things. Sure, I'm an American. And, and, and I've served my country in, in peace and in war. So I believe all of this and put my butt on the line plenty of times because I do believe in it. Which means that as much as I take this virus seriously, if somebody really doesn't want to take the shot, I don't think they should be mandated to do so. That's just my opinion. I don't think it's the government's role to do something like that. I think it's a dangerous precedent. I really do. What next will they try to force you to do once they get away with doing that? Remember, unlike other countries, America has a deep suspicion of government. We don't always believe in it. And when we do believe in it, we want it to be something that's cheap and small and not very dangerous. Then it can't come over and knock on my door and say, I'm going to give you a needle in your butt whether you like it or not. Well, that's, in my opinion, the dangerous government. So I don't like that sort of thing at all, and I certainly would not support that. But I'm not a hypocrite, and you have to understand something. I'm the kind of guy that's really going to say, if you don't want the shot, don't take the shot. Just go leave me alone then, all right? I believe in it. I have to always believe in vaccinations. I'm a vaccination nut. So guess what? I got the shot. I don't mind saying it. I don't, I don't care if anyone gets upset or not. Too bad. Just because I got the shot doesn't mean that I don't believe that you have the freedom to not get the shot. Do whatever you want. You shouldn't be forced on it. I'll tell you, if you ask me, yeah, I got it. I, I think, I think the, the virus is real and I think that I can get sick. I think because I'm an older person, I, I face more of a risk. I have a young family. Okay. I, my family is not like most people my age. They're all, in, you know, already married and whatever. I still got kids in, in elementary school. I, I, I can't afford to get sick and give them something. And I can't afford for them to get sick because I believe in freedom or because I don't believe in the mandates or blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to put, what I feel is a moral responsibility of child rearing and, 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 and watching my family, 
you know, in some political ca- category. I'm not. I'm just going to think what I think is medically necessary for me, and I'm making that choice for me and my family, and that's what I did. Others, you can make other choices. You might not have a family. You might not have any underlying conditions. You might be young enough to where you, you think if you get it, you'll be okay. I've heard that plenty of people have gotten it and nothing even happened to them other than a, a bit of a cold. So, fine. I don't have any problem with that. I just don't like the idea of anyone being forced on anything, especially with regards to work or government service. It's just ridiculous. Now, I don't mind the businesses saying that, you know, you can't come in my business unless you have a mask on. It's not good to breathe stuff in, the, in a limited area. I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's fine to do. Business can do that. Even, even the government can do that to a certain extent. I don't really have an issue with that. You know, it's just putting stuff in here. Cause you got to remember, people are worried in America, especially they're worried about a government that they generally do not trust. And I don't particularly mean this administration. I mean it in general. We don't have a distrust. We have a distrust of government, okay? So that that's part of it. Another part of it is is that They've been given this shot, okay, literally the one I got, for months on end, and hasn't even been uh, approved by, by our, our agency. So you're taking, you're taking a drug that hasn't really been approved yet on an experimental basis, on an emergency basis, and, and, and what? You, you, once you really, once it sinks in, you're like, oh my god, I hope I'm gonna be okay from this stuff. What the hell if something happens? I haven't noticed anything happen to me, and pff, I'm not promoting it. And I'm not. I'm not wishing it for me or anyone else. But it's a chance that we take. As much as a person chance uh, takes and not taking the shot, and maybe they can get COVID and die. You know, I could be taking a chance with my entire family that maybe we come down with some kind of illness or something happens to us years later because the, we we took a shot that wasn't fully fully tested because it wasn't. You, you can't test a, a, any kind of vaccination and stick it out in, in people's arms in nine months. I don't care. You can call all the scientists involved geniuses, and we can deploy the heroic efforts, and God bless them, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't have any problem saying any of that. Okay, I really don't. But let's not stop believing, you know, stories. Let's stick to the facts. It wasn't tested, and even though it's been approved, it still hasn't really been fully tested. They only approved it now because they said, well, we've given it to enough of tens of million people that we haven't noticed a real spike in anything bad, so we figured that's the good test right there. I don't know. I was told that, that that's considered anecdotal, that that wasn't considered scientific. So I think it's, it's just unusual how five years ago what we considered not scientific is now scientific. That's when you do stuff like that, you know, that's when you start becoming political. And it, it makes people more and more suspicious. And I'm not going to tell you here, because, again, I don't believe in conspiracy theories at all. All right? But I'm going to tell you the facts over here. There's no doubt about it that both of the government's administrations of the United States have used this crisis to use the virus to their political advantage. Okay? That's not a conspiracy. That's just the truth. They both did. And they're both still doing it. So... Don't, don't tell me that, you know, that uh, those people that don't want it, they're crazy, paranoid people. No, they've been, they've been driven to some of these ideas because they see the politics around it many, many times. You know, we got this booster shot right now. It only supposed to be people 65. It wasn't even 24 hours later, like, uh, uh, 65. And now we don't agree with that, so we also want it to be 65-year-old people and anybody else at, 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 at an adult age above 18 that are teachers or frontline doctors or nurses and you know so already they backpedal from that who knows what they'll do next again 
That was a political decision. Even the director said it was. It wasn't a medical decision. The medical board said, we're, we're not we're too sure about this booster yet. We haven't done anything super serious to look at it. Hell, if you thought that the COVID vaccination for nine months didn't have any testing, imagine how little the booster has. You know? It was just like, uh, Stan, is it ready? Yeah, it's only been two weeks. Uh, yeah, it's ready. Let's go. I mean, it, it's probably been that short. <laughs> uh, I guess, but still, it, it can't be as, even as long as the other one, and that wasn't really long enough. So... Again, you take a chance with all of that. But hey, it's up to people to make a decision. And it's not an easy decision to make when people have so many factors to look at. And then, of course, we now have the factor in America where you have a bunch of people shouting out, if you don't want the vaccination, you're a weirdo. You're a Trumper. Whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. I think that's supposed to mean that you like Trump or something. I don't know what the hell that has to do with shots. But you got people saying that. Uh, the conspiracy nuts, they'll call you. All kinds of stuff like that. But people can be confused from the information we've put out. They can be confused by some of these actions, like I just told you about the booster, that appear to be completely political. You can't put any science to that and say... Uh, the whole science board voted the majority to not give boosters to anyone but unless you're immunely uh, compromised and you're 65 years old. And then come out the day left, and no, we came up with something else. So, I mean, there's, there's no way to call that but something that's political. That's going to make people suspicious. That's going to feed into the people that are actually into these conspiracy theories. I'm not, but I can see how that does. And I just think that that doesn't serve us very well as society or ev even the world. Okay? And one of the last things about COVID-19 is China. Again, I'm not a big conspiracy theory. I haven't seen any evidence showing that this has been a man-made, manufactured, engineered virus from China. So I haven't seen that evidence. I don't take that seriously. But what I do take seriously, especially since you got a comic out there literally making fun of us because he's right, uh, John Stewart saying, hey, why are we not taking seriously the fact that there's a laboratory in Wuhan where the outbreak happened of COVID-19 that actually is studying viruses that are pretty damn similar to the one that's out there right now? Why are we not looking at that? Why are we not actually chatting about that seriously? Why are we trying to say things like uh, it's racist to make this assumption? It's not racist to make this assumption. It's called common sense. It makes no sense at all. If, if you had... If you had a gang of people that are going around killing black people, okay, and then it turns out um, they're all running into a building that says, uh, we like to kill black people building, uh, it's not going to be considered racist to assume that the people who are killing black people are coming from that building. They're using it as a headquarters and a staging area and have guns and all that stuff there. People would simply say, that's common sense. Let's go get over that building and stop this nonsense. It's really no different than that laboratory. It's the first place we should be looking. And when you have scientists that are no longer available to talk to us, when you have a government that apparently in China did a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of covering up uh, of, of their own population, their own infection, you know, where it might have actually happened many more months than we even discovered it on the, on the global scene, you know, I, I, again, I'm not a, a big believer in, in, in conspiracies, but I am a big believer that, you know, a, a Chinese communist government, they, they don't want to, they don't want to admit they had an accident there, that it went out there. They look like, they look silly. They look like they don't know what they're doing. They look like they can't be trusted. 
So I'm sure they're 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 overreacting, but unfortunately uh, they made things worse. So there's a good chance that's where we know that's where it came from. But there's a good chance it came from that lab, probably just by accident. Don't take much to make a mistake in one of these laboratories. You actually know something's out there. All right. If there's any saving grace at all, I don't know. Grace is an unusual word to attribute to a pandemic that's scaring the hell out of people throughout the whole planet. Is it still has a very low mortality rate, depending on which particular study you believe, whether it's the one from uh, New Zealand or the one from Australia, the one from the United States, the one from France, the one from Britain. They all peg it at five to seven percent mortality rate. Now, when I say those numbers, I don't say those numbers lightly. Like, oh, whatever, because that means that lots of people have died, and lots of people have died over a million already. So this is definitely one of the big pandemics. If you look at historically what we just talked about on the show and we read all of those off, so it's one of the big ones, no doubt about it. And we don't know how long it's going to continue. Remember, we've had ones that, have, that continued for five, six, ten years. So we could be living with this thing for a long time, you know, with uh, uh, measures and, and, and procedures and, and, and masks and vaccinations and all kinds of stuff. It could be part of our life for a a long, long time to come. So I think it's important that we at least try to gauge that these things don't happen out of the blue. They don't happen because somebody hatched something that messed the whole world up, like these dumb conspiracy theories currently say. You've seen since literally the beginning of time there, they've been out there. And if there's a blessing in any of this, and I know, again, an unusual word to use, is it's that we're in a modern technological society right now where medically we could do things to help ourselves where those other populations they couldn't i mean i swear you, you got one of those viruses in the 1800s and you know you, you might as well just start praying to god and maybe even possibly trying to dig your own grave because you were going to go bye-bye for sure that's not the case anymore right now you got people right there with, with ventilators if we can pump their system out strong enough with antibiotics or, or various drugs that help uh, put down the, the virus, they can actually uh, recover from it and come back to uh, to the to the to the world. You know, at ninety-two to ninety-five percent, you know, success rate. We got people that, that walk around don't even have any symptoms. So it's affecting people in different ways, it, it, which is it's incredible. It, it obviously is a different type of mutation that we haven't seen before because, you know, it's not killing lots of children like some of the other viruses did it's mostly concentrated on, on some of the older people you know in fact in, in the united states if you look at the the numbers and, and the cases it's mostly the elderly and anybody who had an underlying condition for the most part so all right folks hopefully that kind of helped uh, clear a little air about pandemics we've heard so much about this the last two years i've had a couple of shows about the arts and the, in the, in, you know, during COVID and all of that. And I just thought, I mean, I have something nice on this, uh, MindSpeak episode that other people in the world can also listen to as well. They're trying to get a, a, a bigger, bigger picture of what's going on. It's not about telling you to not take it seriously. It's not about saying, don't worry about it. It has a low mortality rate. But it is about saying, well, this is the facts that we know. So you have to make choices for yourself about what you want to do. And I know in some countries you can make a choice. And if you have noticed the news lately, you got people breaking the barriers, running over cops, beating them up because they're tired of being closed in and they just want to be able to be free. So it's 
and, and who knows, you know, does that become a super spreader event because of that sort of thing, or, or does it not? Are they putting themselves and other people more at risk? Well, I guess we won't know until a couple of weeks from now if that's the case or not. But governments, whether it's the United States or elsewise, they need to figure out how to deal with this in a, in a medical fashion and stick to the facts. If they're willing to do that, people will take them more seriously. But if they start using religious uh, propaganda, they start using political coercion or manipulation, you, you're going to actually kill more people than you're going to help them. And I don't care what party you're from. I don't care what government you're from. Even if you're in the Chinese government right now, your job is to try to take care of those people. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing your job, and you shouldn't be serving them then because you're not serving them. You're, you're, you're killing them. So that's your job you should do. And, and I hope that more governments will actually stick to the facts and not play these games because people's lives are at risk from, from a virus that, for the most part, they should be able to recover from. All right, folks, until next time, we got another great show coming up on Puerto Rico. That's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're actually going to put a little music in there, too, just to kind of give you an idea how that sounds. It's distinctly different there than anywhere else in the world. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So it's going to be a fun episode. All right, folks, God bless. Until next time, this is MindSpeak, your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. That was History of Pandemics. Good night. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.